Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Wednesday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. Today, we got the QB, Ryan Buchanan, back in the fold for his normal weekly spot after a week off. I believe Buchanan was jetting off to Denver somewhere. Worked out. He's back, fresh, ready to roll to talk how uh, some quarterback play after the SEC opener um, got into some Jackson Dart technical stuff. What exactly makes it difficult outside the obvious for quarterbacks dealing with bad snaps? I thought Buchanan offered some really interesting insight about that. What he thinks of the young quarterback through five games in his first SEC game and a lot more. Great stuff as always from Buchanan Insight that, uh, you know, I couldn't bring you myself even if I tried. That's why I have him on the show. So I think you will enjoy this as always. Before we get to him, though, we need to have a quick word from our sponsors and remind you the podcast is now brought to you by Ray Stevens of Square Real Estate. Ray is a licensed realtor for the North Mississippi Realtors Association, so he can represent a buyer looking for a house or someone wanting to put it on the market or sell. He offers personalized service to every customer, whether you're trying to buy or sell a two-bedroom condo or looking for your dream house in Oxford, whether you're moving from place to place around town, maybe looking for your second home, it's a great time to get it because the football team's awesome. You want to get up here every weekend. You're tired of paying for overpriced hotel rooms. Let Ray help you out. He's a buddy of mine, longtime friend, loves doing business with old Miss people and loves putting people in homes that they will cherish forever. Well, again, whether it's a two-bedroom condo, a five-bedroom house, he can help you out. I wouldn't send you to people that I don't trust you need to check him out. Ray Stevens, call him at 601-624-4824. That's his cell. He'll pick right up, tell you I sent you, and he will take care of whatever you need. Putting it on the market, buying one, whatever it is, he's going to take the hassle out of it for you and make things easier. That's a complicated process. Let someone that you can trust make it easier for you. That's 601-624-4824. If you can't get in there, try him 662 832 Seven 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 seven. That's a lot of sevens. Check him out, Ray Stevens. Really appreciate him joining the Rippy Rights Podcast family. Great guy. Podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sportsfix. Who is Skybox Sportsfix? Well, glad you asked. The world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Turnable, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Skybox. Crushing it on college football right now. NFL is heating up as well. Maybe you're tired of losing money. You need to check out Skybox. Go online, find a picks package. You can try it for a month, week, year, whatever. They're going to have something that fits your price range, your preferred sport. You're going to buy the package. They're going to send you a nice little spreadsheet email-wise, and boom, you're now better equipped than you were 10 minutes prior to make money and actually make a profit. Don't pay out your bookie. Have him pay you out. Check out skyboxsportspicks.com. When you buy a package, use the promo code RIPPY. That's R-I-P-P-E-E. That'll get you 20% off any purchase. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Com. All right, here is Ryan Buchanan. All right, we now welcome on Jackson Preparatory School legend, former Ole Miss quarterback Ryan Buchanan. I'm looking at him upside down as he improvises here doing this pod on his uh, phone. Uh, it's been an upside down kind of week uh, trying to recover from uh, the weekend that was for Ole Miss. A huge win for the Rebels in Oxford. We haven't talked to you since I guess that'd be after Georgia Tech. We took the week off last week. I was out of town. You were out of town as well. Um, boy, how things have changed in terms of, I think, what we think and know about this team. You were, uh, you were in there this weekend. What would you think of everything? Yeah, man, it was uh, 
it was an awesome win. I mean, it was pretty cool to to see that sold out really at 11 a.m. game. I mean, I mean, that's what Lane wanted from his fans. And and I felt like hopefully we gave that to him. I mean, I, I, I know there were other fan bases at three o'clock games. I had 15, 20,000 open seats. And I mean, we actually sold out the vault. Uh, we did, the, the color coordination looked awesome. I mean, it was you, you could have asked for a better open um, SEC game like that. And to luckily finish it off with a win. Uh, it was pretty awesome. It was an awesome environment. I didn't necessarily know what to expect. I mean, I say I don't know what to expect. I figured it would be a good crowd. I figured they would probably sell the place out or get close to it. But even when you have good crowds, like 11 a.m. is just kind of different than the 2.30 CBS game or, you know, God forbid, a night game when uh, everyone's been drinking for five and a half hours and then stumbles into the stadium. It's just different. But, you know, you really couldn't tell other than looking at your watch that it was an 11 a.m. game. People got in there early you know, the kickoff I thought was pretty highly anticipated. And for whatever the vault can be, I thought it was a pretty raucous environment. Uh, I was skeptical of the stripe out myself. I didn't fully understand what the deal was on that. But uh, congrats to marketing. I could tell it was a stripe out. So I guess congrats to them. Uh, if anything, uh, Kentucky screwed it up worse because they just brought some yeah. people. That probably helped with the environment. But that was just a big time early October SEC football game. And uh, this team stood up to the task. Um, I know we got a lot of stuff to cover. We like to keep it pretty quarterback-centric on here. But I guess before we get to that piece of it, I did want to ask you a couple of things about this program and kind of the culture shift under Kiffin. They're now 16-3 and in their last 19 games. And whatever you think of that, whoever it comes against, like there's only a handful of programs that have around that record. And it's a lot of names you would expect it to be. I don't know if the average fan would expect Ole Miss to necessarily be in that rarefied air. But the bigger part about that is, is they win a lot of close games now. You know, everyone talked – I was talking to a ton of people in the Grove on Saturday when I was, you know, making the rounds through, talking to my family. Um, I ran into you for like half a second. It just became a total cluster and then went to eat. But point being, like everyone kept being like, wow, they just kind of win these games now. And I'm like, yeah, they do. Like, you know, the whole like Ole Miss, they're going to screw it up thing – is going by the wayside. And over the last two years, this team has won a lot of these games. And it gets getting to a point you can hear them talk about it in the postgame. They kind of expect to do these things. I know that's something that's hard to describe, but you guys had a little bit of that with Freeze, particularly there in 14 and 15. Like, how would you describe when that changes? Is it just having good players and good talent? Or what kind of comes with that where you get into the end of a game and you're like, actually, something good's going to happen here. One of these guys is going to make a play versus like, yeah, I don't know, your heart being in your stomach or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, to answer that question, I mean, think about it. these players, most of them don't have a, quote, history of Ole Miss football. Every fan does for decades, so they know Ole Miss did this. They just got to school last year, the year before. And if you come in, and look, it takes it takes three to four years to build depth and to change a culture. Like, you have to win these games and be at 16-3 and three in your last 19 to have that expectation that we can beat anybody that we – I mean – we can – I mean, look, Alabama's diff, maybe a little different right now. I mean, just because – I mean, give it another we, – we're building depth. I mean, that's what it takes to beat that team. And we still can. I mean, we, look, we very well may can this year. Um, but all these other games, kind of what you were talking about, I mean, look, like, I think opposing fan bases will say, uh, you know, look, like, who have you beaten? Who have you beaten? Well, at the end of the day, I mean, Kentucky did beat Florida down in the swamp. Uh, they were, were number seven. You say, well, that was just Kentucky. Well – how about AM losing to App State? How about Notre Dame having having that loss? Like new years, like shocks happen, right? Upsets happen. 
I don't think we've let that happen. So that that is something, anything, whatever you want to say to those wins came against, they've been some really unbelievable wins. Tennessee away last year, unbelievable win. They were building a big program. Now it's really showing with what they've been building, where they are right now. And I think we're better than where we were last year as a team, as a full team and, and talent and the transfers that we've gotten in. And they really showed in this past game, I feel like on the defensive side of the ball, of seeing the talent that we brought in in the offseason, how Lane put them together and got the coaching staff to make it a cohesive unit. Um, but, look, the expectation, it can't happen in year one, year two. You're lucky, you know, year three for it to happen right there because players have to stay around. They have to – or the players coming in have to know, well, Ole Miss, they've won some big games here. And then once you actually start doing it and then you start building depth, it, that I think we're at the point we do expect that now. I mean, and luckily we had this schedule to feed into. We didn't face two huge games, you know, out of conference and we lost them when we're looking at two and two or something, you know, going into that. So I think, look, the confidence is there. I think our talent's there. I mean, it's it's nice to see just um, the talent on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, the years to where, you know, I, I don't know what it was, four or five years ago, we had a you know, great offense and let up 100 points on defense. And it was just kind of frustrating. It was about a half decade. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and we don't have that anymore. Um, so, uh, look, that's the well, that's what it comes down to. Because if you're just one side of the ball dominated, you're not going to feel like you can win a game because your other side of the ball is either letting up a lot of points or not scoring. But this is a year to where we really do have the talent and it works on both sides of the ball in a cohesive unit. So I think they 100%, you know, 100% believe we're going to win every single game and what I'm saying is that happened under freeze because we knew we had the talent we knew how you know in 14 we had the big upset versus Bama we had some injuries toward the end of the year and but we still knew like we could play with anybody right I mean there was really no one we, we couldn't play with and then 15 we, we took it into that and then unfortunately 16 there was a lot there were some injuries on the offensive line you know freeze was kind of on his way out he wasn't the same dude as in 13 14 you know I think a lot of people could kind of see that but that recruiting class coming in, I mean, I'm thinking, look, we just stacked, you know, beating teams top five, beating that teams that went on to win the national championship. Recruits are seeing that and expecting that when they walk on campus. I'm coming here to beat those teams. I'm not coming here because I couldn't go anywhere else. I'm coming here to win those games because I may not be able to win them on the other side of the ball. So, yeah, it's going in the right direction for them today. Yeah, you're right. And that 16th year was so damn weird because by there was just a lot of stuff brewing. And then as yeah. that year played out, it became from brewing to whatever the next stage is. I'm not a scientist here, but boiling over to where it became, you know, you remember that 16 year you guys played it, uh, or I guess you were, you were, that was the year after you, you, uh, yeah. you retired, but the, uh, they played down in Orlando against FSU. Ole Miss gets up 28 to six. And you're like, holy shit, is this team going to win the national championship? Like, yeah. this is unbelievable. They lose that one. I mean, you people remember how the story played out. But to your point, Freeze was not the same guy. There was a lot of off the field stuff that was becoming more and more public and starting to bleed into the on field product. I think they, they, um, they started to tune him out. But that's actually a very interesting example you use because this is year three of Lane Kiffin. Or And this is really – I know Freeze had a little bit longer than that. That was in his third year. But that felt like the third or fourth year of kind of the buildup to where you start to get to that point where you come here, as you very well put it, you expect to win these type of games. And, you know, Ole Miss that year definitely came into the year doing that. I mean, I remember when they beat Georgia, like Scott Van Pelt called him like the best two-and-two two team in the country or whatever. And I know that became kind a of joke, but, like, that was real talent on that team. And a lot yeah. of shortcomings and a lot of off-the-field stuff and whatever you want to call it. 
um, kind of derailed that, but it was reaching that point before it cratered. The difference with Lane Kiffin, there's a lot of differences, but I don't think you have to worry about his university-issued cell phone. There's no NCAA investigation. It's a different place. It feels like this is still a very strong build versus is this about to crater? But that is an interesting point because that really was the point where you started believing, okay, they're going to win these games. You know, you caught that toward the end of 15. I think a lot of people thought Ole Miss was going to go in there in 15 and beat Alabama. Maybe that was just a little blind confidence. But after that, that was definitely the case. I had the same thing with that opening night. And it feels like this team is reaching that point. And it's – you brought up a really good point in the sense that, like, yeah, you can say who have they beaten. And it's not like Ole Miss has played a cake schedule over the course of the last 12 games, 16 games, 19, however you want to phrase it. But, I mean, there haven't been, you know, top ten opponents every week, whereas, like, A&M didn't come ready to play against App State. Like, it, this, particularly in this modern age of college football, you kind of have to bring it every week or you're going to get beat particularly in this division. And it's starting to manifest itself in the way they play at the end of games. I mean, look, that wasn't a work of art with the way that game ended by any stretch. But that defense, as you mentioned, they've replenished the talent on it. On it, um, Made two gigantic plays. Austin Keys, good developmental story. I mean, I know he was a pretty highly rated recruit, but a guy that's come in, bought in, and has turned into a really good player. Jared Ivey, a kid they identified at Georgia Tech, threw some NIL money at, kind of pitched him on this idea of turning him into a freak, comes in and makes the absolute play of the game. And it, it's – it's once I feel like once you're in those moments more and more often, you kind of, instead of getting frozen by them, start to believe that you're actually going to do something awesome. And I know when that defense took the field, it was probably slightly annoying that the offense couldn't get take the kill shot over. But I know they definitely did not believe they were going to let up a touchdown. I think they thought they were going to seal it twice. And you can just – I know it's hard to quantify, but you can just kind of tell. I mean, that – 14-15 team, particularly the defense, carried itself that way too. They walked on the field knowing they were about to do something awesome as opposed to, okay, let's not let up a score here. I don't know a better way to describe it. That's a very good way to put it. It's in the way they carry themselves. It's a very good way to put it. That's exactly how it was. I mean, they were the number one scoring defense the majority part of the year. I mean, guys knew how to lay people out. Cody hit hard, Trey hit hard, and Denzel hit hard. I mean, it was like, it's not just, let's not let up points. I want to be on a highlight reel in Sports Center, and knock someone out. I mean, that's that was the mentality, and that's way different mentality than having a DB or a safety. You know, that's going to get beat deep and cost you the team. I mean, cost you the game. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's it is a mentality difference. And when you mention the word modern era football, that happened with NIL. I fully believe because oh, and I, I mentioned earlier, like, yeah, it takes three to four years to start feeling confident as a team and a unit to believe you can win these games. Well, what about the guys that were there that were going seven and five, six and six, and then year three, they're finally good. Well, they, they're gone, right? I mean, they're, they're either going to the NFL, they're done playing college football. You got to start over again. And now if you build that mentality, some other guy not happy at Georgia Tech, not happy at Auburn, man, Ole Miss has swag better than anybody else in the country. Like this is an awesome atmosphere and I can come in and play. Hell yeah, I'm jumping over there. And it's so like we've capitalized on that. And that's and it's a lot easier and faster to build a program with depth. And I think we've had a there's a reason that we have a lot of depth on this team was because of that portal. Because it's hard to every single year get a top 10 recruiting class versus these mega programs. Well, now the portal's kind of working our favor. Um, so I think we can keep and sustain that um, and keep building that depth due to this new modern era of being able to transfer that one year, not sitting out. 
It's a great point. And I think it's why Kiffin keeps harping on the attendance thing. I was listening to his Monday press conference and he was like, Hey, this makes a huge difference with recruits. This makes a huge difference to people watching on TV. Right. Not just the 17 year old kid. That's a five-star that's going to make a decision in the next six to 18 months. It's the guy that's playing somewhere else on Saturday you know, maybe he's not going to end up happy in a situation. You just named Georgia Tech Auburn. You're right, Tennyson, Pegues, um, Jared Ivey. You keep going down the list. And then the other aspect of it, what you were talking about earlier, like you do have to bring it every week. I've thrown this theory on Weldon a couple of times. It's like you look on your watch on your TV a couple weeks ago. How in the world is South Florida keeping up with Florida? Like they're like almost actively trying to create their own football program. Oh, Gary Bohannon's the quarterback there. He's not a world beater, but he did lead uh, Baylor to a Sugar Bowl before getting beat out. Like that's a real dude, particularly at that level in that league. And so, you know, it, it speaks to kind of, I won't call it parody in college football, but you just kind of have to keep your guard up a hell of a lot more often than you used to. And it makes for a fascinating dynamic. And it's even, it makes it all the more impressive that Ole Miss has been able to do what they've been able to do. Let's get into the quarterback piece of it. We talked about Jackson Dart, um, you know, as you know, every podcast we've done to that point this, this season, that's the bit first big stage he's played on. I get he started three games at USC, played in six. He had to go up. Uh, he had to replace Keaton Slovis on the road at Washington State with respect to um, Pullman, Washington, whatever that stadium's called. I'm going to say that's not the same thing. Dart even admitted as much after the game. For a 19-year-old kid, that being his first stage, he's had a number of games, pretty much every game he's had this year. It's like, all right, the numbers aren't going to blow you away, but he actually played pretty well, minus two or three decisions. That's kind of been the copy and paste version of like what you can say about Dart after a start. But before we get into actually how he played, describe could you describe how difficult it is as a 19-year-old sophomore redshirt freshman, whatever the hell he is, I guess he's a sophomore, second-year player, to play four kind of tune-up games and then all of a sudden to just walk into that? Because that's a whole different deal from the time you walk out of the tunnel, is it not? Uh, not really. I mean, I, I don't really know. I mean, it is maybe a way for your first SEC game away. I mean, I think if you've never – like, if you haven't – once you start one football game, regardless of crowd size okay. and regardless of where you're playing, your eyes are up to speed. You're so, like, I told a guy in the stands I watched the game with, and it's so loud, and he kind of asked a similar question. I was like, you know, when you think about it, you don't hear a single thing of noise. I mean, you don't, you don't hear anything because you're so locked in over what you have to do to, before that play clock winds down. And, you know, that's a, that, that, that's the difference. And, like, if you've had – and I think if you came into a game and you haven't started it, you haven't really played a live game when, when you can get absolutely rocked, when you haven't seen things break down. But he's had – played some at USC – and then had these games, four games walking into here. So, like, it's a home game, too. And, yes, it's a lot of – it is a lot of pressure. I'm not saying it's not. But, like, even though it's louder than those first couple of home games, I mean, look, you're watching the play, you're watching the defense, and then you just react and play. And this game happens so fast. It's just – I guess this is just the difference with golf and why some professional athletes that play golf after they retire, like, I feel more pressure with golf because it's just you and yourself. It's quiet, and, and in this environment, you're so locked in, and it's a high-intensity situation. Once that ball is snapped, you're not thinking about, oh, what's the crowd size? You're trying not to get killed. You're trying to get the ball off. And just do what you've trained 10,000 times in practice and other situations. So I really don't think it was that big of a factor. I mean, when I would say it would be a factor is like, you know, if your offense doesn't really know who they are as a unit, and your line does, you know, is not secure with blocking, and you go into LSU and you go into Florida and you go into one of those in the first three to four games, 
And the offensive unit, you don't know if your left tackle is as strong as he was, you know, in, in camp in August. So then you kind of decide what to happen then, and then you get down, and then that crowd is yelling at you. I mean, it's momentum. You're getting behind by 14, 17 points. That's the difference. And being at home, being up the whole game, I mean, and to say, yeah, we had a great crowd, but he's doing what he's trained to do, and he, and he showed that. So that's, that's just kind of my opinion and guys that I've talked to that have you know, played a lot more games than I have. So road's much different at home. It's just kind of like this is awesome, right. it's kind of fun type of thing. And that's a I, that's a really good point. I didn't think about it from that perspective. And like that's still coming. And no offense to the Vanderbilt Commodores, it's not really going to happen next week. I know no, it's it won't. His first. SEC. I mean, it won't. You know, we're going to put up three hundred yards on the ground and then throw it when we absolutely want to. I mean, it's that's going to be. And I hate to say that, but I've never seen a run game like us before, and it's Vanderbilt. And when you can control a game in the trenches and running the ball, you can do whatever you want. It's very relaxed as a quarterback. And there's also going to be no one there. I mean, if the stadium's filled up, it'll be because a bunch of Ole Miss fans from that alumni base and around the area decided to go hang out in Nashville, which is a pleasant city, and come to the game. Like, Vanderbilt is just such a weird place to play. I'll never forget one day – I can't remember if it was 16 or 18. I guess it was Luke's uh, – I can't remember if it freezes last year or Luke's interim year. It was a six o'clock game or seven o'clock game late November, the second week, last week of the year. Vanderbilt was terrible. So I want to say it was Luke's year because I think it was James, James, uh, not James Franklin. Um, Derek it was Mays. the guy that came from, I know, I, I know, the Army, I know, um, I forgot, dang it now. I hated him so much. It was, I wasn't playing, but it was, it was 16 actually because I remember it was Shea. It was like Shea's second starter because he had just done the AM thing. They walked out of that tunnel. It was 37 degrees outside. I swear to God, there may have been 2,100 people in the stands. I mean, it I was know. honestly bizarre. Like, you're, I remember sitting on there on the field trying to get a little video um, before the game, and I was like, this has to be strange to play in. Now, this is pre-global pandemic. Now you could have been like, oh, this is just like 2020. I know exactly what you're talking about. I was, I was at that game, so and, it was shocking. It felt like a high school game. And you've played there before. That stadium's already weird because they they don't have a real speaker system. You know, they have, like, amps on the field. Like, they're, the, the music they play is just, like, two subs they put up in either of the end zones. I know this because I stood behind one one time, and they played that anchor sound, and I don't think the hearing's been the same since. Um, it, it, it's a weird place to play, but you're right. Like, point being, it's not going to happen next week, but it will happen eventually. And when you talk about the road aspect of it, the game that comes to mind, Bo Wallace, about as polished and a veteran quarterback as you could have by the end of his career in the SEC. That night at LSU in 14, he kind of came unglued. And I've never really asked you about this, but this is as good a time as ever. What happened to him that night? Was it just the crowd and the stage? Like, you know, he was – I mean, you could see the video of him kind of going at people in the stands. That's yeah. a veteran guy that just got to him. What happened? Yeah, dude, it did. It got to him a little bit. He didn't play a horrendous game until that last throw that I mentioned a couple weeks ago when we were supposed to – Whatever, that was the very last play of the game we threw yeah. the interception. But I remember sitting with him on the bench, you know, telling him what I've seen, tell, like just talking about the last possession and everything. And then this dude's yelling at him, which I didn't even pay attention to. Like, I just, you don't, you know, some Cajun yelling his ear off and Bo just. And they're right there at the, like, down on the field quarterback. with you. That's yeah, what he's some people that. Yeah, this is at LSU. Sorry, this is at LSU. And he's, yeah, and I'm like, it's, I'm kind of laughing like, you know, whatever, like, it's not saying that bad of things. And Bo just stands up and wants to yell at him. I'm like, how does that get in your head? I mean, I, you know, look, I know I'm not starting at the time, but, like, if I was, I probably would care less because I got a lot more important things to do. And, like, it's a bit – but I, I was like, like why, why do you even give him the time of day kind of deal? And I remember thinking, like, what the – you know, what's he doing? Like, leave that dude alone. He's not worth it. Um, but 
you know, look, you didn't play – did not play awful. Like, they really did play good. I think we they had a good defense, and it, it is what it is. But uh, besides, of course, the last play when, again, we told him, said, look, we're throwing a hitch on the sideline so we can kick a 40-yard field goal, go out there. It's like in sixth grade. Your coach tells you, go throw the ball to the left. And we said that, and then he just threw it as far as he could. I don't know why. But that, uh, that's the only mistake I really remember about is that, that you know, that, and I understand having missed coverages or taking a shot or just trying to force something. But that one when I was like, you know, one minute ago, we just said throw the ball to the left and it was open. Like, no one, you know, no one, they're playing away from him, Laquan. But, anyways, yeah, I mean, I, it's, uh, that's going to be the test, man. I mean, that, that's your test. That's the, the first one I can think of is, is going into LSU like that. Yeah, and that is going to be his first test. I mean, just the way the schedule shakes out. That just kind of what made me think of it. You're right, Bo didn't play terrible that night, but it's just the image of him yelling at that guy on the sideline the way the game ended. It's like that got to a veteran guy. But kind of taking it back to the Kentucky game, um, how did you think he played? So he finishes – I had it just pulled up just a second ago. I want to make sure I have it right. He finishes 15, 29, 213 at a pick. He runs it eight times for 40 yards. You're definitely seeing an uptick in the way he rushes the football. Um, yeah. because you've had 10 carries, 13 carries, and eight carries over the last three games after you got out of those first two kind of cupcake games. Just your your initial evaluation of how Jackson played in that game. I know it wasn't an offensive masterpiece, but it just seemed like a mixed bag. I think it was a mixed bag, too. He made some beautiful anticipated throws that I love seeing. Um you know, the, I think the reason that uptick in, in runs is because there's a lot more scrambling because we're not playing a week off defensive line. I mean, that, that's what that is. And so, I mean, I, I try to, if I can, get a seat somewhere in the north or south end zone. I mean, the way our stadium runs, you know, we're not two miles away up in the clouds. So you can actually see pretty well. And, and, and I, what I usually do, I mean, you can, I mean, I was in the south end zone. You can see, all right, how low the safety is playing for this down in distance and where we are on the field. You can see, all right, we have a stacked, uh, duo out to the short side of the field or, you know, our single man's going to run a hitch on the short side of the field and kind of see what they're doing. If they're going really, really fast, do they have, you know, if we end up running the ball, kind of look out at the receivers, are they running a bubble route? They're running some type of screen that's tagged with a run, if he can pull it and throw. Like, when we go real fast like that, I remember the first three plays of the game, 95% sure those were already programmed in. I mean, that was extremely fast. And we'd had those, like, we're running these no matter what. And especially, I, de- I definitely know that, because we went shotgun first play and went under center second with a wide jet sweep. So, like, that was program. You can't change it that much of your formation unless you had that program. And, and I absolutely love that idea. I mean, I think uh, uh, one of my friends, Richard Baird, you know, he, 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 he unfortunately reached for the Auburn Tigers sometimes, and he was telling me Malzahn would always have three plays lined up at the beginning of the game no matter what, and they go real, real fast to start out. Um, and, and anyways, I think that's what Lane did and looked good. Um, so, and I look, then after that, when they dialed back, I liked seeing the first possession of, I can't remember. I mean, I think we ran it in and scored or, or maybe it was the second possession, but he, uh, whatever it was, I mean, it's first through third or fourth possession on offense. He went through his reads. Like we would have a bubble route, throw it, just pitch and catch. And then we do, a, you know, a little, uh, seam route. We kind of pump the swing to as if we were throwing a swinger off to the running back and he's looking deep on throwing over the linebacker before safety or throwing deep if it's man coverage to the outside guy. If it's not there, check it down to the guy that's swinging in the in, in the flats or the running back really behind the line of scrimmage. And he went one, two, down, checked it off. Some people are like, well, he shouldn't have thrown it. I was like, no, that was a great decision. Like his eyes moved at the time that like if I'm sitting there going one 
of their two drop and drop to a third. And he's, he's doing that. And that's an easy read because that running back's out to the sideline. It's not like you're trying to find him over a six foot six left tackle or right tackle. Um, but he was smart. Like it was the first couple of series, like we might've punted it or something, but he played smart. And I was like, man, like whether he threw it away, and then pocket broke down, he had some great runs. Like he's not a, you know, Richardson who's going to run it 50 yards and break a safety's ankles, but he can get out. He's really mobile, which is nice to see. Like that was kind of the fun thing you could do if you could find your way out of that pocket, scramble for 10 or 12. If you just have one guy spying you, you know, and he may get called up or maybe two man, and there's just one dude underneath and he's running at the right time when the pocket breaks down. So it was really cool to see that. Kind of like the other, the only thing I really saw, and there's a couple other ones, just the one that I remember, like, we might have been up 14 0. He had his first, like, good play downfield. And we, we ran down there, snapped the ball, ran a run play. And then I think we kind of dialed it back and we dialed up a high low pretty much it was a, it, it's a it's just a different combination but we had Ming I think it was Mingo or Trig pretty much doing a deep over route it's not a drag at like six to ten I mean this thing's a 20 25 yard over route with a deep post you know coming over the top Jackson did not even read that I mean it was it was it, it was pretty evidently at least when I was sitting behind him had a good view like he just had a big play like man everything's going great and tries to throw it whoever it was, it might have been Mingo, whoever ran the deep post, the safeties never came down. They stood back. It was double coverage. He ever threw it by like six yards, incomplete. But you're looking underneath. And I'm not a guy who's going to say, look, hindsight's 20-20. Always should have, this guy was open. But it was a pretty simple two-man read. And if you just look at the safeties, like you, he wanted them to bite up. Like he just wanted to say, I'm throwing this, I'm throwing this, chunked it into no man's land and incomplete. Whoever was dragging out underneath could have caught that at 29, 30 yards and ran for 45. And it ends up being – I mean, that's incomplete on first and second down. Then it's like third and eight. Now, I can't remember if we converted or not. But it was such – there was no, like, checking to see off the bat because there's not – if safety's bite down low enough, they're really not going to get back in time. And it was easily double coverage. And you look underneath, if he just – look, instead of just, man, screw everything, I'm going to go chunk it and get a touchdown – he probably would have thrown a 60-yard pass, caught it 30 and ran for another 30, and then been down the red zone. That I can't remember. We might have punted at that possession. I, I don't remember, but I remember thinking, like, that's one of those situations you're pumped up, you're fired up. I can do everything in this moment. I'm going for it. And it was such a quick read to never check his second read. It was just, I'm throwing this no matter what. Um, but, look, I'm not trying to hate on him. Like, there's a couple, you know, bad decisions, but he's also had some sick throws, anticipated throws that he threw to spots. I remember um, on the south side, you know, the south end zone type area, on the 30, he let a guy to the sideline. I think that was on an SEC highlight reel. Um, he threw it to where uh, it was to uh, Malik, and he caught around the sideline, but he put it right where he needed to. And, like, yeah, like he has – he's thrown some – the bad picks are the ones that frustrate me is there's a lot of junk in the middle of a field to a quarterback. And usually when, when you throw it to the middle of the field, it's a quick slant, it's a hot route, like, you know, or the you're reading opposite of the mic. He goes right, you're hitting guy to the left. And it happens pretty quick. If you wait for a little bit and you have two crossers and then you just try to kind of freak out, just force one in there. That's those are like picks like, man, you know, that was really, really, really forced. Be smart with it. Not like a sideline or you're giving your guy a chance to win, right? Or a deep post and it's one on one and that safety beats your six four wide receiver. I get those. Uh, that was just another one of those. He's had in the spring game. He's had in other games. He throws across the middle right to a linebacker. And you're like, what are you seeing there? 
he's going to get better at it. He has got he has gotten better at it. I mean, he has. I love the running ability. I love it when he, he makes some really really good throws. And it's just learning to look. It's not always a throw to where you can lead it to a sideline, and it's going to be either sideline catches it and it's out of bounds, or your guy does. You're going to have to make he's got to make some decisions a little bit earlier when you're going across the middle, or just tuck it and find your running back. You know, one of those like it's okay to do that. And again, he showed that early, early. Then I think we got, you know, into that game and had some good confidence. But then that confidence led to maybe a bad decision. But look, he bounced back and he's playing great. I mean, I'm happy as heck to have him as a quarterback. And um, I just, if he just starts truly going, this is my read, I'm hitting this, he's going to look like an all star. I mean, he's going to, he, he will throw to guys that are open, throw to guys that have good matchups by just doing what his defense is telling him to do. Yeah, for sure. And there was a lot in there to digest. And there, I feel like some of the parts that you're talking about, too, is so Kentucky goes down and scores right before half to make it 19-12 to where it felt like for a little bit, you know, could have Ole Miss could have gotten a stop there. It's like all right, they might win this thing going away. And there are a couple instances in that game where it felt like it might have been the case. And Ole Miss actually gets a drive going right after it becomes 19-12. to They get down toward, I think, right around the uh, Kentucky 40, somewhere around there. And he throws one that kind of sticks right in Jacquez Jones' hands. Unfortunately for Jacquez Jones, former old Miss Rebel, hate to see him get hurt. Seemed like a good kid. Um, but he gets hurt on the play, but it just went right to him. And I don't know if he just didn't see the linebacker there. But yeah. that, that was the one pick he threw. And it's like in that moment, like that's the kind of stuff where it feels like, look, it's not as bad as that one, at least to the untrained eye here. It's not as bad as that one where he's rolling out to the short side of the field at Georgia Tech. Yeah. Everyone and their mom is going, don't, 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 don't. And he yeah. does it anyway. But it still was just a very inopportune time for a pick because, you know, with the way Ole Miss, that kid uh, that hasn't failed a drug test yet is kicking field goals. Um, that, I mean, you get down to the 32, 33 yard line, like that's 22 to 12, which is a huge difference going into halftime. It's that kind of stuff. But like, again, you got to keep reminding yourself, right, he's 19 years old and this is his first full collegiate season in terms of it being the starter and his team. And so when we describe it as a mixed bag, it's not a heavy criticism. It's just interesting to kind of analyze the good and the bad this, uh, you know, from a week to week basis. The other piece of it is too, is I wanted to throw this one at you because from what I was sitting in the South end zone. Yeah. South end zone on the left side, there was, don't get me wrong. He had some mistakes in there too, but there was a couple very tight windows. He fit in through the middle of the field throughout the game. And I can't ever tell, you know, obviously without knowing it to the level that you do is like, was that an awesome throw and decision or was that like, holy hell, how did that get there? Just the way he read, I know he had a couple of awesome throws toward the sideline, but just the yeah. way he made a couple of those throws to the middle of the field, how did you think that portion of his game was? No, that's good. I mean, I think a lot of these, a lot of these, inter not too, there's not a lot, two of them, the interceptions that you see straight to a guy like toward the middle of the field is, you know, if you have a seam route and it's like, you may have four verts. If they're playing a too high look, your two inside guys are going to bend it, like because your safeties may. Anyways, it depends what it is. I mean, two or four, but they're going to bend it in, and it, it's deep enough to where it's like remember the Evan Ingram scene. Like that's yeah. deep enough to put that height over a linebacker to where you don't really worry about it. it looks like you're threading the needle, and it comes down before the safety. Uh, not, you know, that's not too hard as it looks. If you're like throwing a ball at least like twenty yards downfield. When you have a more shallow cross is when it gets dangerous, and that's when he's made those picks. He'll like – and the, the hell of a throw is still down the field. Um, and I think he hit a dig route, which is a little bit deeper, but he got to throw that one on line. I know he hit one of those. I mean, look, it, it is great. I think 
His eyes are moving great. I think it's just knowing like what type of route that is in the middle, in a sense. Um, but yeah, those seams, bender type routes that work their way toward the middle of the field, if it's far enough, and your safeties, you know, are the same they're going out to their deep thirds, you're going to have room to put that over linebacker and get down. It's when they're truly crossing a linebacker's face to where you got to know that's a very high risk throw. And just telling the difference between the two, which I think he will, is the really big difference. We will get back to Ryan Buchanan in just a second, but I wanted to take a quick break to remind you the podcast is brought to you by LB's University Avenue in Oxford. If you're Rippy Wright subscriber, that's rippywrights.substack.com. You get a free newsletter from me a couple of times a week and discounted meats. Right now it's a 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. That's one hell of a way to kickstart your grilling weekend. The weather's crisp. It's perfect outside. You need to be throwing something delicious on the grill. LB's has that for you. I had some filet burgers last weekend and some awesome sausage. They were absolutely delicious. You need to check them out. Go find your own favorites there. Oxford is so lucky to have a place like LB's. It is a truly a jewel of the town. Check them out, LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, back to Ryan Buchanan. And it's not like the part I really wanted to get to and talk to you this week, it's not like he's working with the most optimal conditions. Um, the snapping is a big issue. They had to make yeah, that is. What, Let's what, get to that piece of it. What so was like, happening? So, so that, I don't that, know. And it so Caleb Warren was hurt um, and has been banged up for the last week and a half. He actually didn't start this game. So they moved Acker to center. They moved Jeremy James inside and actually put redshirt freshman Micah Pettis out at right tackle. So Ole Miss is playing with two freshman tackles. Now, I think that's mostly a product of how confident the coaching staff is in both of those tackles um, because uh, Pettis won the SEC Offensive Lineman of the Week. Jaden Williams has played pretty good football through five games, despite being somewhat banged up himself. So I don't think that the tackles were the more so the issue than just clearly the snapping piece of it. I mean, they've already had some problems with the pass rush on the interior offensive line. And then, you know, you had all these things going on at quarterback and I'm trying to think of the right way to ask this. You played in a somewhat like rhythmic timing offense if you're having to catch the football at your knees every time on an RPO or something like that, how much does that screw you up? Because Kiffin in this offense is hugely predicated on timing and he's already got enough stuff going on. We just outlined kind of what he's up against 19 year old freshman in the sec. And on top of that, he has to worry about whether the football is going to get back to him on a down by down basis. Like I, I've said this five times on the pod over the last two days, I feel like, but football is a complicated game. One of the things you don't think about is it's actually a problem if you can't hike it between your legs to the quarterback. That is, in fact, an issue. It's a huge issue. I mean, I'm just thinking, I mean, that when you're dropping back, it depends. Look, it depends the type of play. If you have a real slow one that you can, you know, they don't throw a laser at your knees that you can bend down, catch, and still go into your rhythmic drop, you know, three-step hitch, three-step plant one step throw, one in load, and you know it can time up for that. Sometimes you get away with it. But if you throw like a laser, you you, you know, you barely get, I guess, and you have a quick hollow route, like a smash, outside hitch, inside corner, and that corner happens within two, three seconds. Like that, that thing is pretty short. You almost can't throw it. I mean, you, you take it because your eyes, your eyes go down instead of going up and seeing that first move on a safety or the first flip of the hips by a DB. And you look down to focus on that, you lose that half. I know it sounds crazy, but like half a second. But when look, quarterbacks, they are watching the snap. But if you, I mean, Alabama doesn't miss a snap in Bryce's chest. He is, he's, he probably is already looking at the defense and just knowing it's going to hit him in the hands. And he gets so used to it, his eyes are up quicker. Man, you start throwing that those kind of snaps, it throws 
a lot of things off. And it throws your first look off on a guy. And sometimes you're not going to be able to throw that. You may catch a bad snap, bobble it, then you pick it up and you still think you have a chance. But then you, you lose, you know, you can't see because the line's already in your face a little bit. They got backed up because right when you catch a snap on the t- on time, you can get your eyes up before the, the line gets pushed back in your face. So you may just have to take it and run and scramble out and make a play. It definitely, I'm telling you, a quarterback, if you see, look, if he bends down a little bit and catches it and it's not a rocket, he's probably fine. But if you really see him bend or if he bobbles it, it takes his eyes off. For, that, that initial look is very, very, very important because that tells you, you know, we would have a five-man route, and depending on what it was, I mean, we would sometimes just read opposite of the mic. It was so easy. I mean, if the mic goes left, we hit a run, we look to the right to the running back, and then we come back and look at another route. We've had another one called dice. It was just pretty much your slot guy just runs a hitch over the center opposite of where the mic goes and just sits there. And if you don't get the first look at that mic to see where he's leaning because they're working at the ball, you may make that wrong read. So. It is, it is, it is a big deal. I mean, I, I fully believe that. I really hope we get that corrected. That was a great answer because that's not even the part that like the average person I feel like is thinking about when you think about bad snaps, it's like, all right, well, you missed the guy on the jet sweep because he's coming in as timing wise. Well, right. Your eye, because think of the corner of your eyes, like quarterbacks are not focusing diligently. How do I catch this football? I mean, you're barely, you just know it's going to hit you because I mean, again, you're on the short side of the field. They could do a corner fire blitz. And this guy's, you know, lined up as if he's impressed. But then that safety is starting to creep off the hash. If he's creeping off the hash, that means he's going to take that corner fire spot. And that corner fire is coming right at you. You get the snap and you're looking straight down the ball. You might not have seen that at the corner of your eye. And because of that snap. And, like, if you had a perfect snap, you know, you're looking just where your eyes are focused and you're not really focusing too much of your attention on a snap, you're going to catch it. You've done it a thousand times, especially if your center always hits you, you know, somewhere around your chest, you make him pick up that corner fire blitz. And, you know, I've had one of these, he comes off catch and throw. Cause now I've also <laughs> picked in the spring game. Cause our poor string wide receiver ran, you know, right when he blitz, he's supposed to just almost stop because he replaces him and you beat the safety from coming over. But let's assume the receiver does the right thing. and doesn't sprint on a vertical when the cornerback blitzes. You have a good snap. You can see that. And, for, and again, predict it. Like, you, you beat their blitz, but you, you have a bad snap below your knees and you're focusing on that. It throws everything off. Yeah, but I, I was even saying beyond that, to your point, is, like, you think about, like, the RPOs and the timing stuff. It's actually what you're – like, one of the things you were mentioning was, like, you know, even if it's just a straight-up pass play, whatever your first read is, if you have to spend the first half second trying to grab a ball at your knees, it throws everything off, like, about the entire play – everything you lean like football in some ways is kind of a game of snapshots and if you miss like the first one it's going to be hard as hell to figure out yeah you're right and that rpo too like the running back still sees that if it's a bad snap he'll may slow up it can't really slow up that much but you may when you get you don't have that clean read where i'm sticking the ball find his pocket while i'm watching the dn and the overhang and i have that one second to ride or pull it's like i'm just trying to scramble and find it in his pocket well if i hit his inside of his hip we're looking at a fumble possibly because i think i can do it but if i if i don't hand it off i'm getting absolutely sacked in the backfield i'm getting rocked right so it yeah it throws that off and that doesn't that doesn't even count in what your tag rpo route was that you thought you could have thrown all because of the snap obviously you don't want to snap over your head but the way you described that a second ago i was just curious would you rather have a snap that's slightly high than yes every time every every single time you can still rebound 
1,000%. If it's like an under control, like just yeah. the same speed, yeah, I'd do that because I can get my eyes back down. If Now, if it's a rocket, you're jumping up, you're getting off the ground, no. But like, let's say instead of hitting me in my chest or like at my belt, it hits me in my, like around my face, same speed. That's no problem at all. That's nothing. Maybe top of my head. Guys are at, quarterbacks are athletic in SEC. Like most guys have really good hand-eye coordination that play that position. Dude, you're going to catch that right at your head, given the same speed. So much would rather have that than have these to a 6'3", 6'2", to 6'4", quarterback, you know, below the belt where you got to bend down so much when your posture, when you take a snap, is barely bent knees with a really arched back and big chest so you can see, you know, your defense. And then that's a long – you're not bending – you're not hunching over, right? You never see, like, Dak Prescott. I mean, Dak has the best posture at it. You don't see Dak bending over like a kid in the fourth grade, so you can't really get low snaps, what I'm saying. So, yeah, you'd rather have one around your, your eyes. Yeah, no, that makes total sense, and that made me think of that as you said that. Uh, one of the things I wanted to get to before we get some of the receiver stuff and wrap up is, well, I was asking Weldon about this on Sunday. He was like, look, man, like it's more complicated than it seems, and I've actually talked to Nick Broker about this. One, snapping is absolutely like kind of a learned trait. Um, calling it an art might be a little bit far-fetched, but it's something you do have to learn because you don't yeah. really recruit centers, right? I mean, these kids coming out of high school are all playing tackle for their – High school, That's true. High, yeah. High like Robert school. Conyers, Robert played left tackle. He became a good center. Ben still was some center, some, but they rotated. But Robert had to adjust all the ways along the defense, offensive line, and he got to center. But yeah, he didn't play that for like even in college, and he gets thrown in there. That's pretty tough. I mean, you have a, I mean, Jordan Davis ahead of you, you have to snap it perfectly and then take a hit. I mean, that is just, it is a no doubt the muscle memory to be able to snap and hold your ankles and hold your ground because you're not, you don't get to launch forward that much in the center position. If you launch a little bit too forward, you may hit your butt. You may go low. You know, it, it, if it's a pass play, you almost have to snap and take your momentum back to set your heels in the ground. It's dude, that's definitely, an, I mean, it's pretty close to being an art. Now, if you've done it your whole life, done it through middle school, high school, and you're recruited that way, it's probably nothing to those guys, but I can't imagine being a tackle or even a guard and saying, go play center. Not many guys can – and they practice all week, and they're doing a thousand of these. But, man, again, that's that's tough in that environment. And uh, for a guy that hasn't played it, I'm telling – it's very tough from what yeah. guys have told me. And Broker – there's a – Broker has a story where he was like, yeah, I've done it in practice, and then we did it in a scrimmage one time. And he's like, didn't go great. Like, I, I, did, I definitely didn't want to do that. How do you – like, I, I know you – I don't know if you quarterbacks participated, and I know this sounds stupid, but, like, how do you practice snapping? Because it's not just hiking the thing between your legs, right? You have to shuffle left, shuffle right, whatever the case is. I mean, they, they practice snapping with them? Yeah, yeah, and your pregame warm-ups, they're snapping and driving to the left, snapping and setting back and pass protection, snapping. and I mean, they, they do that. But, again, it's like it's nothing compared to when a guy's lined up against you. There's nothing like it. And – yeah, look, every time they snap a ball, they're never sitting there. It's always a snap in, like, three steps and throwing their arms out constantly. Pre-game warm-ups, practice all week, practice on the sideline. I mean, I just, I mean, you'll never see a center just sit there and stop. Like, that'd probably be in high school. But, dude, there's nothing like it when there's a guy lined up in the gap and you got to make a quick move right there. Um, so, man, it's, it's tough. I mean, it's, 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 a real, it's a real thing. And they can only practice so much, but, again, it's a different story. Yeah, and I don't know how far they go down on the depth chart in terms of, like, options, right? Because, I mean, you could say, look, Caleb Morton's less than 100%. was like, yeah, well, it wasn't great when he was. Like, it's been a problem all year. So, I'll be very curious to see how they kind of try to monitor and fix that. Last couple of things here, receivers-wise, Malik Heath has a 100-yard game. One of the things we talked about in the pod a couple times 
leading in was that they haven't had a guy had more than like three catches in a game. It's like they didn't have a guy that really made an impact. I didn't think Heath had a perfect game. It seems like he and Dart have a lot of miscommunications on where to break on deep routes sometimes, but I thought he played yeah. pretty well. One of the things that's been surprising to me, and I don't know if it was something Kentucky did, but the fact that they really bottled up Jonathan Mingo just through five games, you know, the first four versus this last one, how have you kind of seen the receivers in Dart chemistry-wise? What do you think of this receiver group? I think, my opinion, I think they're more competent than last year, but no one's really kind of emerged and step themselves up or they've had more flashes if that makes any sense i'm trying not to throw out every cliche in the book but there have been moments where i'm like oh this has been pretty damn good where you didn't see a ton of that last year once mingo got hurt i'm just curious what you like what your opinion of the receivers has been to this point yeah i think it's it's been good um you know like the big throw that uh dart threw out there on the sideline and led them and just pretty much was a prayer but he put the prayer in the right position. Not, I don't say in a bad way because it really was a perfect throw, but Malik was able to speed that up and crank that. Like that's a different level wide receiver that can make you look real. I saw – like it was very clear and evident. He put on the Jets 15 yards away when he was coming across the sideline because he could anticipate that's that far away from me. And you know what? I need to, I need to speed up and get this. And he did, and they kept the speed in. Like that was really, really good. I think that – you know, the deep the, – look, the comebacks on the sideline, like, you know, we hit a lot of those. Most guys can understand that. I mean, luckily, they're coming back to the football, and that's not anticipation. That's just being good wide receivers when you throw it. You know there's a DB on your back and man coverage. Uh, I'm not going to sit there and wait the ball for the ball to get to me. If they do, that's when a, a DB swipes it underneath. But they can feel that presence, and they're going to protect him and win for that ball, and they've done that for Jackson every time. I think the only tough thing is is uh, that – it's really to the really deep balls, a timing deep post, not one when you step up and roll out and chunk it. You know, like it's he's missed a couple over the shoulder, and it's learning from the DBs, not DBs. I mean, the wide receivers got to learn how to anticipate when that ball's in the air and they're running some of the fastest speeds you can imagine. Are they used to his ball? You know, tr- you know, going a little bit further than used to. Like it, that, that's tough to do. It's those deep balls, and it's them adjusting to it as well. It's not like Jackson overthrowing all these they're adjusting to it and learning you know 20 yards out while that ball's in the air how do I adjust my speed to fall under that perfectly and I think that's going to you know find time I think when you look at your spot routes your hitch routes you're sitting behind a linebacker quick curls they're on the same page I mean they're doing what the defense is giving them and it looks good but the hardest timing is in sideline timing going down the sidelines not that hard I mean in a sense, like they've already built that chemistry. It's more across the field and really, really deeper stuff. That's tough for both guys to adjust to. Are they? I meant to ask you this. Are they looking at this in real time? So you see, I see this watching NFL Red Zone every week, where the quarterback does this or that when it goes the wrong way. When that's happening, whether it's deep post, whatever the route is, the real deep stuff you're talking about, is the quarterback reading that from his vantage point in real time? based on what the receiver thinks he's going to do or the defensive back. And so like, it's, I guess the way I'm trying to ask this is when that's at routes happening in real time, are you having to, in order to connect on that throw, are you having to count on both the receiver and the quarterback knowing the proper way to break at the same time? And yes, yes. Every single time, every single time that, I mean, all of our deep posts, let's say we're on the left hash and you know, we're on the left hash and you're going deep. You do a play action and whether that's a reverse rollout, a slide going flat down the line, like faking a jet sweep, dude, you're throwing, these guys are so fast. You're aiming for the opposite hash mark 
or just inside of that. You can't throw in the middle of the field because other safety is going to have time to pivot and get back to it. If you throw that thing outside that opposite hash, that's going over his right shoulder. He's running toward the upright, upright the field goal post to where towards the middle of the field goal post, and then he can't really adjust to that back over his shoulder. But they're so fast, you slide it. Okay, safety's coming down the dig, throw it. He hasn't even broken yet. I mean, he hasn't put his foot in the ground. But you know with his speed, you know if Quincy was different than Laquan and, and Cody Core. And when they put that foot in the ground, it's odd, it's timing in your head to know if I've got that runs a 4-5 compared to a 4-3, you do it enough in practice that I may just hold on for one half second. And that's going to be a difference in five yards. Uh, underthrowing or overthrowing. And the really fast guys, if you make the right read, again, it's man coverage on the outside and the safety's biting down and the other safety's not getting back in time. Man, that's one-on-one. That's what you want. You have no – I mean, there's not – I don't think Patrick – maybe Patrick Mahomes, but I highly doubt it with as fast as guys are in the NFL. They're sprinting 10 to 15 and planting that right foot in the ground and then cutting to the middle of the field. You're throwing it before then. And I see a lot in my high school guys, and they have it all the time, that you want to hit a guy in stride. Like, that's true anticipation. You can't – they should not slow down for one second and do a jump ball there. But – they don't realize how early you have to let this go and know that I'm throwing at this spot and the receiver knows I got to get to this spot. And we run it so many times. And look, the receiver is going to, depending on your height, you put on the ball, depending on how low you throw it, I'm still going to aim for that hash mark at about 45 to 55 yards. But the receiver is going to learn how to adjust to it based off how high is that ball in the air, how low is it, you know, things like that. And that comes back to your offensive line. Like if you have a guy in your face right when you want to release it at that perfect timing that you know, one second after you make that pull on a play action, you got to get rid of it. And then there's a hand in your face. You got to slide, then throw. And it takes a little bit longer. The receiver's got to be able to react to that. But if it times up perfectly and you have the protection, like, look, most of the time, I, I, I think we do. You see a guy do a play action, you set back, you throw. And so, anyways, we'll see. Uh, I do look, that is timing. It's timing on both ends. But long story short, yeah, you're throwing that thing before he comes out of a break. These guys are too fast. Who is the best at that in terms of this guy always goes the right direction and he helps the receivers out that you played with? Uh, Dante was really good at it. Dante was a great route runner. This is a route runner issue. So when you yeah. cut, how, how good is that cut? Are you ending up on that opposite hash at 38 yards or he's ending up there at 46 like you should? You're running so fast. You're trying to get away from that guy. But if you take an angle too flat across the field and I'm throwing to the hash, and you don't adjust. And let's say a receiver can't see it in the lights. He doesn't adjust in time right when it comes out of my hand to get back on path. I'm throwing it where I'm supposed to because I don't have time to see his angle. Most of you really don't. I mean, unless you throw it 75 yards in the air. That's just how fast these guys are. But if you have a good route runner, Vince Sanders was great at this. And Vince was not like a high-time high guy, but the, like the deep post to Alabama, that was right there just inside that hash when we took that lead in 2014. We had a dig underneath. Safety took one false step, and then Bo released it, had great timing before Vince really made his cut, and it worked out perfectly. But they're able to adjust. The best receiver is able to see right when that ball comes out of that hand and they find it real quick, and they're like, oh, my gosh. You know, they don't know they don't, they know where they are on the field, but they know I need to adjust my angle of where I'm running to adjust for that ball. So it really is on these deep stuff on the receiver. Um, now, look, if you're doing seven on seven and routes first air, you're watching that receiver the whole time. You can see exactly where he's breaking. But I'm telling you, in a game, you can't see that. You have these six foot six, six foot five hands in your face up to six ten, 
you don't see that. You just know I'm doing that play action. I'm feeling the pressure. I'm sliding to create that gap, and I'm letting it go at this spot. You don't see it the whole way. And you could, no one will tell you that unless you're like six foot eight, maybe you might. But, or if you have just an absolute clear pocket, the DN goes wide and you have a clear shot. I'm just saying, if truly the line is tight and you don't have a hole to throw through, but you know, you know, off that split second, because he had a good snap and he went one, two, and saw that safety bite down, you're throwing. Cause you know, that's what, that's what's called like reading, like reading that safety. So you never saw that safety and just threw it, even though it was good timing. That's two versus one. So when I see a jump ball and I see two guys back there, when I look up and there's an underneath and that safety's not like not, not even touching it, that means he just kind of picked it and threw it, is what I'm saying. And you just and the or look, and it's or you have a bad snap, takes your eyes off it, and you didn't get to see that first initial break by that safety because you were looking down at the ball and you missed them. And look, you, you just want to try to take a shot, and I get that, but it does. All that's coming back to timing off that center snap at the same time. Even this is the complete opposite of our RPO stuff too. It's seeing that first look of where safety's at, and 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 seeing that first step to know, you know, I can go over the top because you're not watching the receiver the whole time. Last thing on this game before we hit two quick SEC topics to get out here. How do you think? How good do you think Levis in Kentucky was? I was the. I thought the. I thought the play calling was somewhat vanilla. I thought Kentucky very had very little opportunity and seemed scared to death to drop back and throw the football because whether it was the Ole Miss defensive line or their own offensive line who hasn't been great. You know, they entered that game. Levis had been sacked 16 times in four games and then only played one real opponent. I'm just curious, like, what you think of Levis and how good that Kentucky team actually is, just kind of your bare-bones assessment after watching that game. I think Levis is a very good quarterback. I think most guys that aren't experienced as him would have a lot more. I know, look, he fumbled. I get that. Like, get the fumble. But there were so many times he had, just compared to Jackson, pressure quick. And that was such a great assessment to our defensive line. But quick stuff. And and he took that safety. But, like, dude, it was nonstop bombardment. I mean, just seeing the difference between a little over two seconds and four seconds of a quarterback. And he was sitting there between two and three a lot. and his receivers may not create space. All this is saying is, like, defense looks real good. I think if he was a younger quarterback in that position, they could have had a lot more errors. We won that game by a lot more. Um, just passing errors if he sat there because it was not favorable for them. I don't. I mean, they they had a pretty good run game. I think he played all right, but they're right. They didn't open it. And they might not have could have opened it because our D-line was really, really strong. We played really hard there. Um, but I, I, I still – I didn't think he was, like, bad by any means I mean I'm just I guess I just watched this game of like he dropped it off he dropped it off that's the decision like you know he he gave it time to see if that guy's going to you know break he's going to throw the balls missing the right spots like kind of things like that whether they're completion or not you know like and anyways I obviously obviously they played great but I don't think Kentucky played great due to our defense playing a lot better than them I think Kentucky's pretty good, and I thought Levis played pretty well, too. I just think it's unfortunate that all those years of stoops of having, like, good defensive line or a good offensive line, good defense, no quarterback, he's finally missing that one component on the yeah. offensive line. And that may be a credit to Ole Miss, but they are definitely not the strongest one. No, I don't think so either. Real, real quick, bouncing around the SEC, is A&M a product of not having a quarterback, or are they a product of their system being nine years outdated? In the like, Because Max Johnson had good moments at LSU, right? Haynes King beat out Zach Calzada, who, whatever you think of the kid, he did beat Alabama that one night. Do they, do they just not have a quarterback, or is that – because everyone wants to talk about Jimbo's scheme. Do they just suck? Like, what is what is your assessment of how that – like, what, what that actually the problem is? 
Uh, I think it's more system. It's not fitting to what they do. And it's hard to – I mean, look, I look, I don't think they're that strong of quarterbacks either, but I think if they were in a very favorable offense – I mean, I think Lane is one of the best offenses, I'm telling you, as a quarterback. You get Guys are running open, calls a, plays, calls a pass at the right time, calls an RPO when he sees something on the defense, um, or whoever really is calling plays, Lane or Weiss, whoever it was. Um, and when Levy was there, they're op- they're putting quarterbacks in really opportune moments, and I think that's all scheme. I've seen too many times guys fail in schemes that are really really good quarterbacks. And I think I mean A and M has talent. It's freaking A and M. They got all the money in the world. They always have the best recruiting classes. So the only thing that I can come down to is their scheme and and not putting guys in successful positions to really show what they can do. Yeah, it's a uh, wild. We're the exact opposite of that, right? Is whatever you think of the air raid. Uh... Will Rogers, very good at it. They put themselves to succeed. We talked about the mobile thing last time, but, like, for whatever they are, his timing is really good, and they're really hard to stop. On yes, that and that system is hard to stop. He makes play. He, he knows their defense. He's going to carve them up. Leach is putting him in very favorable positions, and he makes the throw. I mean, that's just like – it's just calling the play at the right time. If you call whatever combination it is, and you make the right read as a quarterback. One's not there. Two, look backside. My gosh, he just got hit by a linebacker. I'm done. But you go into a good, you know, then you're getting sacked. Then you're getting rocked. Then you're trying to get out. And it's just a fail in the compound. You're looking at least whether it's quick or not. When he calls deeper passes, it's your first two reads. Safety came down, sweet, throw and hitch. This, came, this went here. All right, we got outside leverage throwing there. And he calls it to where guys are creating separation, whether it's in man or zone and it works and i'm telling you i I just think that's a lot of the coach i mean the coach drives the player i mean and i look look like Minshew. i mean he didn't do anything for three or four years he goes to you know leach's offense and it's quarterbacks can make the throw a lot majority in college football can and if you put them in the favorable situations you draw the right routes at the right time and you're going to make a not an average quarterback but anyone I mean, that scheme is everything, and that's what Jimbo's failing at. And what State does good and what Lane does good is that they're putting the guys they bring in in favorable situations to, to succeed, and same with the wide receivers. Yeah, I mean, Minshew, after – I covered a Minshew game at Northwest, and then he was about to be a GA at Saban before. He was like, oh, I'll give it one more try with this crazy-ass guy up in the Northwest, and boom, now look at him now. Well, um, I know, it's wild. Not much else notable happened. K.J. Jefferson got banged up. Alabama's backup quarterback came in. That's the first time in like half a decade I didn't know who, who was it. I didn't know that. What did you say? Who was? Who came in for them? So I forget. Oh, that dual threat guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah he uh, and he was he was all right. I, I think Alabama could have some struggles if Bryce Young's out a long time. I do too. Best way to end the podcast. The last question: the viral video now of uh, Chris Partridge, Charlie Weiss Jr. just going absolutely nuts when you get the strip sack. You had two older coordinators. Is there any sort of relatable moment to that? I know Womack and uh, Werner were probably not standing up and down, just jumping on each other. But can you remember a win where, like, an assistant coach, you saw him on the sideline, and he's like, I think these coaches know we just jumped over a snake here. Like, we were lucky to get out. Yeah, that fumble and drive at the end or two fumbles back-to-back inside of there. Uh, I think we all kind of knew that game could have turned out differently. <laughs> the, the season videos could have turned out differently. Our media department on all social media would have a little different videos. But 
No, I can tell you, Werner, uh, he has that thick mustache, and he coached at Miami with Jimmy Johnson and won some national championships. He's seen a lot. Oh, my gosh. He, he's just, he'll probably slam the fist and go, we got it done, and that's about it. I mean, I mean, maybe a fist bump by some of these, but, no, not like those young guys celebrating like that. He is Ryan Buchanan. I appreciate the time. As always, my man, this was incredible stuff, incredible insight, and we'll holler at you next week. All right. All right, that's our show. If you made it to the end, I really appreciate you making this podcast a part of your day, and I hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back with fresh cuts and another episode of the Nick Broker Show on Friday. Y'all enjoy the rest of your week.